Welcome to I Am, I Have, How It Helps, brought to you by Happiful Magazine, Counseling Directory, and the Happiful app. On this episode, I'm talking about sexual intimacy with Lahani Noor, psychotherapist, psychosexual therapist, presenter, and author of 12 Steps to Sexual Connection. Before we start, I wanted to encourage you to download the free Happiful app. With this, you'll be able to read daily articles, access Happiful Magazine in its digital format, and search for mental health and well-being support. Now, back to Lahani. I hope you find this conversation useful and we'd love it if you could rate, review and share. It helps others to find us and we read every comment you write. I'm so delighted to be speaking with psychotherapist, psychosexual therapist, presenter and author Lahani Noor. Welcome Lahani. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you for having me. I'm really delighted to have you here. But before we start, I'd love it if you could introduce yourself and tell our listeners a bit more about what you think we should know about you. So I've had quite a varied uh, career so far, I suppose, although I predominantly always work with people in some capacity. I like to say I've taken the scenic route through life. So uh, I'm not in a hurry to get anywhere in particular, and I'm really enjoying the process. And along the way, I um, have qualified and I'm working as a psychotherapist in general practice, and I have a specialism in psychosexual function, uh, function capacity, sex, anything that comes under the umbrella of sex and sexuality. And it's wonderful to speak to you because we've spoken to you before for Happiful. And one of the things that we love about you so much is you make it really easy for us to talk about everything to do with sex and sexual intimacy. And we know that it can still be quite a hard topic for a lot of people. And you've actually done an audio book, which I've been listening to over the last week, called 12 Steps to, to Sexual Connection. And it's a great way to start thinking about the subject. Perhaps you could tell us a bit about this audio book and, and why you wanted to put it together and what you hope it does for people. I just wanted to open up the conversation about sex a little bit more and bring it away from sex in some, you know, in some ways that when, by the time a couple comes to therapy and the problem is in their sex or sexual capacity or dynamic, so much has happened in the relationship. And it's the, we have to go and look at what's happened in the relationship to work out why there's, there's a struggle in the sexuality. So sex is very rarely just about sex. Sex is a product of many, many other dynamics within a relationship. Um, and I wanted to kind of make that apparent. So the first six chapters of the book don't really have anything to do with sex directly as such. They're about the nuances of relationship, the foundations, if you like, that you need to have in place so that good sex can grow off the top of that. Um, and then the sec uh, second six chapters are really about sex and sexuality and the function of sex and sex and mental health and um, infidelity and all the other aspects of sexuality, I suppose. Thank you for that. And one of the reasons that we're talking to you today specifically is on counselling directory, we've seen a 1,061% increase in people searching for help with sexual intimacy. So I just wanted to start to unpick that with you. I mean, that's over obviously the last year when we've been in lockdown. So it's just over a year since we've gone into lockdown. It's been a really, really tough time. We've been in this kind of pressure cooker of uncertainty but really more than anything when we saw this statistic we thought this is a huge subject where do we even begin to start yeah that's a huge number I'm really uh, I'm kind of surprised although I shouldn't be because the number of couples that are walking through my door has probably increased by the same amount 
Mm. Um, you know, when we went into lockdown, especially that first one, it was just insane, wasn't it? I mean, it was so traumatizing. And what we know is that when we have a traumatic response, our natural a physiological thing to do or a psychological thing to do is to split into parts. Um, and the trauma response means that we go to flight, fright, fight, submit or attach. If we think we all did that a little bit, especially when a lockdown first happened, and then we think about relationship and what that might mean in terms of how we act out our relationships. Let's look at the um, flight bit and the attach bit. So the flight bit would mean that we would just, or the freeze would mean we would get away. We would get away and we would, you know, need to be on our own or need to be very safe, somewhere very safe. And the attach would mean that we want to connect with another person um, and really, you know, make a strong connection. And one of the ways to do that is to become intimate with somebody very quickly. So when people are traveling or, uh, you know, on holidays, they sometimes have those holiday romances where they're very quickly attached to another person fall in love and it feels insurmountable and that's because a part of us is anxious a part of us needs to attach to feel safe and so if you think the whole of our country did that all in one go so what does that mean for people in relationship you know when you've got limited resources it, it probably means that you either cling to your partner or you really want to get away from them but either way something is going to be starting to be acted out that's different from normal and you might not be experiencing the same thing even though you're in a partnership one person might want to freeze and one person might want to attach I would assume and that could be really difficult as well absolutely I, I think that's what's being enacted out in lots of different relationships and so and it's heightened because there's nowhere to go you know there's no distraction we're in our families homes with our partners so if there are any problems or if our attachment styles are different they'll be heightened they'll be much more heightened so the problems were probably already there in the relationship but possibly they were never going to cause any great problem because there was lots of other distraction and there was lots of other ways to get relationship needs met of course during lockdown all those resources are taken away so we're completely dependent on our one partner and you know minimum family members to provide us with everything we need and that's just really hard that is really hard. And I guess our relationships are suddenly under the microscope within our homes. And just to say at the moment, we are talking specifically about relationships. Later on, we will talk about people who are not in relationships. But at, at this moment, in terms of relationships, you're suddenly together in the house for a lot more time than you would be. If you have children, you're trying to sort out children and homeschooling or um, somebody who came on this podcast called it emergency schooling because it's not homeschooling. Homeschooling is a choice. You know, you're trying to do that. You're, you're perhaps thinking about, certainly at the beginning, we were thinking about whether we had enough food, whether we had enough provisions. That's all going to add to, to this, this stress in our relationships, isn't it? Of course it is. And we can't get everything we need from one person. It's impossible. So, you know, the fact that we are trying to do that now will put our partner and ourselves under a tremendous amount of pressure. You know, in terms of the sexual dynamic, in order to feel sexual, sometimes what we need is that thing called variety. We need something different. We need to feel fresh and alive and stimulated. We need our partner to go away. We need to miss them. We need them to come home and have some you know, interesting conversation. We need to look at them with fresh eyes on a daily basis and not see them perpetually in their pajamas, even <laughs> their pajama bottoms, because, you know, I mean, I'm sure everybody here has done it, is sat in a Zoom meeting in their pajama bottoms and a nice top. But there's something about that and the, how our partner sees us doing that 
and the lack of stimulation that comes with it or the, uh, the mundanity that comes with it. So it's important that we do things during lockdowns that maybe we wouldn't do before or we find ways to stimulate one another in, in creative ways, in ways that maybe we never even thought of doing before. It's going to take a lot more work, isn't it, to maintain our partnerships after this period and during this period. It'll be interesting to see what happens after lockdown. I mean, so many couples have come to therapy because they've, um, and it's beautiful really, because they've realised that there are flaws in their relationship and they want to fix them. So they're doing a lot of work. It's a bit like kind of doing all, you know, all your building work or you're decorating work while you're during lockdown because there's nothing else to do. And people are doing the same thing with their relationships. But I wonder what will happen when we come out of lockdown, when we can go out in the world and see other people and mix and mingle. I wonder if um, people will feel safe enough to do that and if we'll have a little bit of a resurgence of the 60s and free love them. I mean, I wonder whether that's a reverse almost of what you were talking about with the attach and the freeze, whether people will go in their different ways, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go far from home or they'll stay very close to home. I mean, I know, certainly in my own relationship, my partner is much more extroverted than I am, and will be out socialising straight away, whereas I'll probably be a bit more tentative in that and a bit more concerned about what's coming back into the home. I can imagine that plays out in all different kinds of ways in relationships. Well, of course it is going to. And that's so interesting to hear you say that because I suppose that's exactly what we're looking at, aren't we? Or what I'm saying is that under pressure, we all react in different ways. And we're constantly under pressure, under different levels of pressure. So we're constantly moving up the pathway of our own trauma response, if you like. And when we come out of lockdown, just like when we went into lockdown, there will be a trauma response in some way, responding to this new stimulus and um, we will be acting in different ways. So you will be acting in a different way from your partner and that might cause some problems, it might not do. But I'm sure for lots of people it will cause a lot of problems. And how do we start to, I mean, this is the, this is the multi-million dollar question, but how do we start to address sexual intimacy when we feel like it's dwindled and is it sexual intimacy that we need to address? Gosh, that's a, that's a really big question, isn't it? Um, so in generic terms, because I can only talk in generic terms, if there's, if there's a problem in the sex, there's a problem in the relational dynamic, that's it. It's very rare. In fact, I just can't think of any time ever when someone's come to therapy and the problem has been purely in the sex. You know, if the sex has stopped or it's difficult or problematic, it's because there's something else going on. I'd say the first place um, that you need to look is communication. Are you communicating to your partner what you want from sex or your difficulty or concern about sex, or are you not? Because if you don't ask for that thing or the attention or the love that you want or need, there's a good chance you're not going to get it, not unless your partner's telepathic. You know, it's interesting, on that line, often I hear people say things like, oh, she was doing it for attention, or he was doing it for attention. And I think, well, give them some attention. What's wrong with that? I mean, okay, there's better ways and worse ways to get the attention that you need, but there's nothing wrong with needing attention. We just need to get over that. It's totally okay. And it's totally okay to want attention from your partner. I mean, who else are you going to get sexual attention from? Of course, we want attention from our partner. And in terms of coming to see a, a professional like yourself, I think there's still quite a fear, although as we've talked about, you said more people are coming to see you. We know more people are searching on counselling directory for support. Can you talk through 
and the process will be different for everyone and every different therapist. But can you talk through perhaps what you think some of the myths might be and, and how it can be helpful? I think the myth is a common myth, which I see very often. The guys often looked in different sex relationships. The man is often reluctant to come to therapy because he will believe that I'm going to side with a woman and uh, try and make it all his fault or tell him it's his fault. And that's, it's so interesting to see that men are often so defensive when they first come into therapy. In same-sex couples, sometimes one partner is more defensive than the other um, for the same reason, that they believe that they're going to be, um, you know, held up as a problem. If I think about the therapy I do predominantly with couples, I kind of blend in aspects of transaction analysis, which is what I was predominantly trained in, and the behavioural aspect of um, sex therapy or or sensory focus. And sensory focus is great. It took me a while to really get to grips with the nuances of it. So it might sound to couples like, oh, I'm just doing the same thing. You know, we're going to start a behavioural programme and I want to start going to ban sex. And the first thing we're going to do is invite you to um, have some touching sessions. You know, take your clothes off and touch each other's bodies. And the focus is very much just on pressure, temperature and sensation. It sounds so simple and kind of meaningless in some ways, doesn't it? But what I'm looking for when I do that work with clients is where the objections are. Because in the objections is where we get into the kind of psychology because the person will say, think, I don't want to touch them. I don't want to be naked with my partner. And they will have reasons for that. Those are the objections. Or they will feel um, sad about themselves or memories of arguments or difficulties in the past will come to the surface. And then we work with the objections. That's really interesting. So it's about finding out where those barriers are. Um, and really working through that with the couple. It's interesting you said about one partner might be more defensive than the other partner or, or more reluctant to come because I guess it is, it's quite a commitment to talk to somebody else outside of your relationship about your relationship. But as you said, that person has an objectivity and, and can see perhaps what we can't see on a day-to-day basis. Yes, absolutely. And also I think what clients have to realise, especially couples, and I make it really clear and you know I do emphasize it a lot and as we go along I remind them neither one of the individuals is my client the relationship is my client and if I keep that in my thinking it helps me also so if I remind myself also that the relationship the thing that these two people have co-created whether that's a, a complexity, a relational complexity or something very beautiful it doesn't really matter the thing that they've co-created that's my client that's very interesting it's the relationship it's the it's that the two people rather than the individual people which I guess if you've been to therapy or counseling as an individual that's a very different premise if you're single at the moment if you're on your own and and you are struggling with the lack of intimacy you know physical intimacy is there anything you would say about what you can start to do to address that I think physical closeness is such a fundamental part of human existence. We really need it. We need to be touched. We need hugs. We need to be held. And it's, you know, whether that's sexual or not, I mean, it might be, but it might not be also. I would say, you know, if you can have a hug buddy, get yourself a hug buddy, you know, or your, what are they called, bubble buddies? If you can hug your bubble buddy, hug your bubble buddy. Physical contact, let yourself have physical contact and don't be ashamed about it at all. Our skin's our biggest organism, isn't it? And we need that contact. We know we need it. We know we need our skin to be touched by another person's skin. And so much gets communicated through that process. 
in terms of sexuality, well, sex is really important also. And if you're a person of any age and you've got a sexuality or a sexual drive, then it's important that you find a way to get it met. However, during lockdown, there were very few answers, very few safe answers. And I can't, I can't magic up any new ways of being sexual with somebody that involves physical touch, you know, unless you've been through the process of being tested and making sure you're both safe and following social restrictions and, you know, guidelines. So um, perhaps the best thing you can offer yourself is some kindness and compassion that it's really dif- difficult, that this is really tricky. Absolutely. And I just wanted to go through a few of the kind of frequently asked questions that we get, but also some of the objections we hear when, when people are talking about going to therapy. So the first one is that people don't have time in their life with um, children, with jobs. It's the last thing. It's the last thing that they can do is, is spend an hour focusing on their relationship and and quite often we hear that it feels like a a privilege or perhaps something that they don't they can't commit to what would you say about that do you know when you're on an aeroplane and uh, the air hostess says you know if there's turbulence and the gas the air masks the oxygen masks drop down what she says is or what they say should i say is first of all look after yourself you're no no good if you're not okay, you can't look after your children, your partner, your parents, or whoever else is traveling with you. So the first thing you have to do is look after yourself. So on this journey through life, the first person you have to look after is yourself. Because if you're not okay, you're no good to your children, to your partner, you're no good to your work colleagues or your friends. You have to look after yourself first. It's absolutely true. And is it possible to have the kind of therapy you're talking about online if people aren't able to get out? Absolutely. You know, it's been a real revelation. I moved my practice online overnight. I went into lockdown a week before national lockdown because I thought I had COVID and moved my business online. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm finished. This is just awful. And actually what happened is my business doubled. The, and the reach, my reach doubled also. I have clients all over the world now. It's absolutely amazing. And that happened because people realised, oh, actually, it's so much easier just to go online and have an hour or 55 minutes out of your day as opposed to the three-hour round trip. I do work face-to-face and I will continue to work face-to-face some of the time. But so many of my clients don't want to come back to face-to-face. And they really are very, very happy with online because it is so easy. We've heard a lot of people saying it feels a lot more focused as well because there isn't the dash after work to get to a specific place, make sure you're, you're there at a particular time, you know, leaving afterwards, the kind of getting home after a session. So it's interesting. Some people can't wait to go back to face-to-face, whereas other people feel it's made it more accessible to them. Absolutely. And again, it's that we're all different, aren't we? What, what I've noticed is that um, lots of my schizoid clients absolutely love it because they don't have to leave the house. And when I say schizoid, I mean in terms of a a preferred personality style not a, not a disorder and uh, they get to sit in bed and they get to sit in bed and be really cuddled up and really safe and also because you're it's you're very close to the other person's head when you're online um, you're much closer than what you would be ordinarily you know ordinarily you'd be sat quite far apart so that intensity and then the safety of being in your own home and maybe being in bed helps the uh, therapy to go much deeper than what um, much deeper much quicker than what it would face to face 
That's so interesting. And as I'm talking, because I'm we're talking over Zoom, I can see you. I'm in my hallway. My dog, by the way, if anyone heard Pitter Passer just then, my dogs walk back behind me. I'm wearing earphones, so your your voice is very close to me. And if you're listening to this on headphones, our voices will be very close to you. And there is a there is a a definite kind of intensity that's there with this kind of conversation that perhaps is different when you're sat together. So as you said, it's, it's what people prefer, but it's definitely possible. And in some cases it's preferable for some people. Couples therapy. I do a lot of couples therapy online. I have couples who are in different uh, buildings, different houses, um, or even sometimes I've had a couple who travel, one tra- couples travel to Europe. So in three di- we're in three different countries possibly, and it works remarkably well. I mean, there's lots of opportunities. That's, that's the wonderful thing, I think, that's come out of this. The second question or, or um, issue that gets raised is, what we do doesn't look like what we see on television. So the idea that people's sex lives somehow is inferior to what they're seeing represented in the media. So, you know, again, visually... If you think of a baseline like ground zero and everything above that is the visual, the performance of sex and the performance of sex is what we see in the media. It's all kind of glamorized or, or you know, everything's waxed and, you know, bottom holes are dyed. So they're, <laughs> or I, I mean, I, you know, kind of amazing stuff goes on um, and everyone's kind of perfect and young and plump and all that stuff. And, it, you know, it's stimulating for lots of people. And that's why porn sells so much. But it's very performative. It's all about... Uh, the doing the act and very little about the depth of connection and deep feelings and everything below the line is all about feeling it's much more it's heading towards the realm of spirituality and um, it's about very deep feelings specifically about the person that you're with really deep feelings of connection of warmth of knowing of familiarity of safety of calm you know and of love and nurture and that stuff isn't visible because it's what's happening inside us. So when we engage in familiar sex with someone we've known for a long time that we have a lot of trust and history with, those uh, deep feelings might be very still. You know, if we were to look at those people having sex, we might not see anything. They might even barely be moving. But the connection that they're feeling and that the intensity that they'll be feeling will be it would be quite profound. Well, having spoken to lots of people about sex, it is quite profound and it does border onto a sense of spirituality. I suppose it's all that oxytocin. Whereas there will be endorphins with performative sex, but you won't necessarily be feeling profound sense of love for the person that you're with. They're very different, you know. And, and that doesn't mean that watching representations on film of people having sex can't be gratifying for you, but, but expecting that to be the same in your own bedroom with someone you've been with for 20 years is unrealistic, dare I say it? I think I'd say so. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying that everyone who's been together for a long time doesn't have, you know, performative outbursts of sex or doesn't have lots of fun. What I'm saying, I suppose, is that if sex isn't largely performative, it doesn't mean it's not good. So, you know, if you think I have to aspire to, you know, this acrobatic version of sex in order for my, to justify or to feel that my sex is worthwhile, then you don't, you don't have to do that at all. You can um, let yourself focus instead in the sensation and not just physical sensation, but the emotional sensation. So 
I often invite couples to engage in sensation play in the sexual dynamic. And because um, you can get into bed with somebody and have sex with them and not really notice who they are or not really notice what's happening for them on the experiential level and keep your own experience away from them, not communicate it to them. Or you can work together and you can create sensations. So sensations of power, of submission, of um, you know, of, of all sorts of tensions, uh, of excitements, and but then you have to communicate with your partner verbally to to be able to start to explore those realms. So it's a different sort of sensation play. A lot of communication from everything you've said. It feels like communication is really key within intimacy. The final question is, if both people in the couple have stopped having sex together or with anyone else, and they're happy for that, they, they don't feel as if they want to have sex any further, can their relationship survive? And, and that's, that's the kind of question that comes up. Can we survive without that sexual intimacy? If both parties of the couple are clear that they don't want to have sexual dynamic and neither one of them are feeling that they're missing it or longing for it or feeling resentful about it, then of course they can. You can have a relationship in any way you want. You know, the idea that it has to involve sex or penetrative sex is ridiculous. Lots of couples don't have penetrative sex at all. They just employ mutual masturbation and they're quite happy with that. In fact, that leads me to vaginismus because I'm seeing lots of more people come into therapy, young women come into therapy with vaginismus. So... If you can't tolerate penetration, it causes a problem in the dynamic. And that might mean that you still want to enjoy sex, but you just can't tolerate penetration and you don't want to overcome that or it's too difficult to overcome it. So the couple learns to have um, sexual excitement or experiences together that don't involve penetration. That's totally fine. So it's maybe looking at sex as, as not purely the penetrative act. You know, the way in here in the West, the way we've all been socialised to think about sex is that if there wasn't a penis, it wasn't erect, and it wasn't ejaculate, then sex didn't happen. And it's just such a load of rubbish. And actually, you know, historically, that's why there's never been any laws against lesbianism. Because, you know, the, the, the idea that, well, there's no penis, so there was no sex, so we don't have to worry about it. There's the idea that there's a lack of, lack of potency if we take the penis out of sex. And of course, that's just not the case at all. Only 10% of women are able to achieve orgasm through penetrative sex. It's such a small number, isn't it? So, and also for guys, you know, it's not fair to put all this pressure on them. You know, the pressure that they have to perform, the penis has to be big and they have to pound away. And if they don't do something, the woman will never orgasm. I mean, it's just ridiculous, you know. This belief system we have, it doesn't just affect women, it affects men negatively as well. We need to downplay or change the narrative we need to bring in a narrative around the ordinary the mundane and the everyday you know and the beauty of that you know there's something incredibly beautiful about the ordinary the average and the everyday it's like going home you know there's warmth familiarity safety and you know we need to have more discussions about that and give people permission to want to be vanilla be vanilla it's okay not every if you're not uh, if you're not out there having outrageous sexual experiences, you know, and threesomes and twosomes and God knows whatever else, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your sex. And I think a lot of people need to hear that. It's been wonderful to talk to you today. Can you tell people where they can find you? Of course. So you can find me on the counselling directory. And actually the counselling directory is the only place that I advertise. So it's a 
and I've been with you since I started practice and I've never needed to go anywhere else. I'm very happy. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, the counselling directory. I don't have a website. So if you Google me, I'll come up on the counselling directory. Great. And we're going to put all of this in the show notes. There'll be an article with this podcast as well on happyful.com. So you can link to Lahani through there. And also Lahani, your book, 12 Steps to Sexual Connection is available on Audible. And I can vouch for that. It's great. It's been keeping my mind busy on uh, spring morning dog walks. So thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Lucy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We'd love it if you could rate, review and share if you've enjoyed listening. And don't forget to download the free Happyful app. This podcast has been produced and hosted by me, Lucy Donoghue for Happyful. We hope you'll join us again soon.